Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hello? Hey, Catherine. Hey. Today, I have a question for you. For me? Something I cannot understand know nothing about mm-hmm. the stock market just had its best quarter in decades is that your question what does that mean what is the stock market why is it doing this um no i'm with you i don't understand at all mm-hmm. why are you interested in the stock market because you are a doctor and care about health and we're following the health well, implications of the uh, pandemic. Why? Why do you care about what the stock market is doing? I mean, uh, you know that people's uh, well-being, the well-being of the economy, is tied to health of all sorts. But mm-hmm. um, that tends to be stuff like putting roof over your head and having you know job security and being able to feed your family. And uh, it yet it seems like like there's a lot of stress in a lot of places in those areas. Mm-hmm. And yet I keep hearing updates about the stock market doing well. So I just don't understand that that disconnect, and I want to. Well, I, as I assume you know, can tell you nothing about this. So I think we're going to have to call in some help on this one. And even just economically, like jobless claims were super high. Tons of people are sick. Everything's shut down. The country's deeply divided. Oh, also, the stock market's up. Let's give Derek a call. I think Derek, um, Derek Thompson, staff writer covering the economy. Derek is just really good at explaining things. He's really good at saying things things in numeric lists. Yeah. I mean, well, here are the three ways that I think about it. (laughs) Exactly. I genuinely appreciate when he does it. It helps me. No, no. He's an amazing thinker and speaker. So we're going to, we're going to call him. Okay. Hey, Derek. Hey. Hey, Derek. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, had some great dinners this weekend. Got much better at cooking. I couldn't really cook before um, the world ended. And uh, the erasure of the entire restaurant industry turns out forces mm-hmm. one to be a relatively capable cook. So, yeah, my life is, is deeply culinary. Wow, Derek. Well, you seem like the perfect person to answer the question we have then. There's something that's perplexing us. Mm-hmm. We're really, really, I feel like there's something I'm missing here. Okay. Here, I'm just going to read you this headline from last week. U.S. stocks cap best quarter in two decades. Yeah. He's not surprised. Question mark. Yeah, the stock market is super confusing right now. Right. I mean, I think that the dis- I've experienced this dissonance when listening to the radio. Uh-huh. It's like, we've hit 100,000 deaths. Unemployment is the highest since the Great Depression. Everything's canceled. You can't travel. You, you can't, can't do travel anything. where, you know, other All countries. the rhinos so bad from here the that zoo. Country, other countries say you can't even come here. And then it's the weather is 95 degrees and the S&P had its best day in 20 years. Like. What gives? What gives? What gives? Yeah. So um, 
I think the one way to think about this is that the stock market is not a reflection of the economy today. It's not trying to be a reflection of the economy today or yesterday. News is an indicator of what just happened, what is just happening. The stock market Mm -hmm. is an indicator of what investors think will happen in the next five to 10 years. And so the Mm -hmm. shortest way to explain the gap in optimism that's opened up between basically everything that isn't the stock market and the stock market is the fact that a lot of investors looking at the sharp recovery that a couple economic statistics have made since the bottom hit in mid-March has made them optimistic about the fact that we might not recover 100% from this pandemic and this economic crisis in the next six months, in the next nine months, but they're seeing things that make us think that in the next year, next two years, things are basically going to be where they were in January and February 2020. And that's why what overall, uh, let's, uh, so let's, let's think about three different categories, uh, housing, cars, and big internet stocks. And, you know, houses, houses and cars are really important to think about because they're the most expensive purchases that people tend to make. And then internet stocks are important because they have been driving stock market growth, not just in the last six months, but for the last few years. Um, all of those look like they could pretty much recover or are already basically at higher levels than they were in January, February. The housing hmm. economy really bizarrely, and this is truly, I, I don't say this is like, duh, anyone should know this. It's like, it's truly, truly bizarre. The housing economy is doing fine. New home sales are higher than they were a year ago. Mortgage applications are higher than they were in late February. Uh, Home construction projects uh, based on some online marketplaces are higher than they were in uh, January and February. So very bizarrely, whereas in previous recessions, certainly the Great Recession, 2008, 2009, housing was just killed. It was just destroyed. And in this recession, housing isn't. It's actually doing totally fine. So that is a green shoot for the stock market. You look at something like- oh, Green shoot? A green shoot, uh, a, a, a tendril of optimism uh, that investors see. Uh, oh, forward. I like that yeah. phrase. So, so that's one green shoot. Uh, then you look at something like cars, right? After houses, cars are the most expensive thing that people tend to buy in their life. If they, they do buy a house, if they don't buy a house, it might be the single most expensive thing they spend money on over a long period of time. And- uh, there's every reason to think that the uh, car economy is going to be pretty much fine as well. Uh, you have a lot of Americans that look like they're going to move uh, to the suburbs. Uh, you have the possibility of a little bit of an urban exodus coming after uh, this recession uh, because people are going to be a little bit freaked out to live in crowded areas. And what do you need in suburbs? Well, you need cars. Uh, so there's, there's every possibility that you could have an auto recovery that is pretty much fine after the next year. And then finally, mm-hmm. you have uh, stocks uh, in, you have, excuse me, you have internet stocks, um, and they're doing sensationally. I mean, the plague economy is basically shut down face-to-face interactions uh, for large parts of the population, which means that to do anything, you have to go online. And that's why you look at, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Cisco, Adobe, you know, practically all of them have seen gains this year. And the gains of those large tech companies have essentially driven the stock market. Uh, recovery. So those are the three biggest reasons why I think you see this gap opening between our everyday life and the stock market, which is a part of the economy, but certainly not the whole economy. 
Can we back up for a second? And I'm just going to ask you an embarrassing question, but it, I need to know. Is the stock market real? Yeah, absolutely. The stock market is totally real. Uh, what is it? What, what is the stock market? The stock market is, um, uh, you could say that, you know, from a, from a sort of postmodern standpoint, the stock market is a public hallucination about the future value of publicly traded companies. It's okay. So this is what I'm confused by. You just said it was real, and then you said it was a hallucination. Yeah, hallucinations are so, real. Hallucinations are real. Hallucinations are very real. <laughs> yeah, let the doctor tell you. <laughs> <laughs> this is what confuses me about the stock market. Is it real or is it a hallucination? It, it is absolutely real. The stock. I definitely want to be on the record on this podcast saying the stock market is 100 real. If you invest money in the stock market, you can take that money out. You can redeem that money at CVS and Panera and Amazon.com. The the stock market is real and the money is real. It's not fake. When I say that stock values are a public hallucination, what I'm saying is that the public collectively hallucinates basically whatever they want certain stocks to be valued. And there's not necessarily a rhyme or reason why stocks for one company might go up and another company might go down. Um, so for example, you know, you have a company like Amazon, which has historically had a very slim profit margin but is worth the trillion dollars. And then you have other companies that have much higher profits than Amazon, but aren't worth nearly as much. And that basically has to do with the fact, and I'm sort of summarizing a, sort of a, a lot of different explanations for why stock values would go up and down. It basically has to do with the fact that most investors, not just you know little uh, nobodies like you and me, but institutional investors like pension funds. Hey, speak for yourself. Hedge funds, excuse me. I, 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 I forgot about the hedge fund that you had opened uh, under pandemic. Um, yeah. That basically these these companies make certain bets on the future direction of stocks. They say Amazon is a huge company that basically has monopoly on various aspects of the online economy. We think that the value of their stock is just going to keep going up. So they buy stock, hold public stock. And then as that stock appreciates, their wealth appreciates and they can uh, sell that stock and get money from it uh, whenever they like. Um, so the stock market's absolutely but real. But, in, but prices, I think, are in many ways a, a, a collective hallucination. Well, okay. So this is what gets, this is exactly what we're asking about. The money is somehow real, but all of the exact numbers and the valuations of each company is just a form of kind of a mass hysteria. Absolutely. Did you ever collect anything, Catherine? Maybe stamps, <laughs> baseball cards, uh, buttons, Beanie Babies? Grievances. Grievances. <laughs> Listen, I was preyed on by a mail-in antique stamp company when I was a child. What? <laughs> and I did collect stamps. Okay. I collected coins. Um, I, I don't think I would say in retrospect that I was preyed on by an ancient coin collection. Company, well, I ended up racking up a bill that I couldn't I pay, see. Got it. Um, because they just kept sending me stamps, and I loved them. But I didn't have any money, so then I... It, it was a little complicated, but I did have stamps. Got it. Okay, I collected stamps very briefly as well. Jim, I don't know if you collected stamps or baseball cards or anything. Baseball cards. Baseball cards. All right. Obviously. I collected baseball cards too. So let's talk about uh, stamps and baseball cards. Do I hear an analogy coming? Oh, away? here it comes. You can hear the train coming <laughs> from half a mile away. Toot, toot. Uh, I think I hear an analogy. Train. <laughs> <laughs> uh, baseball cards I'm actually more familiar with, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there. I loved baseball okay. cards of the late 1990s. Ken Griffey Jr., Frank Thomas, Jim Tomei. Uh, half our listeners are turning off the podcast. The other half are nodding their heads ferociously. Uh, I, I just loved collecting baseball cards. Why were some baseball cards worth more than others? Well, on the one hand, you could explain it by saying, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., a great baseball player, was better than some random baseball player no one had heard of. 
So a baseball card of Ken Griffey Jr. was worth more. You would expect that the value of that card would appreciate over time. But no one can see the future. I had no idea how Ken Griffey Jr. would play in the early 2000s. I didn't know how other baseball players would play in the future. So it's ba- when I'm trading baseball cards with my friend in 1998 in his living room, you know, we are participating in something like a public hallucination. Uh, we are hallucinating the future value of these pieces of paper um, about which we know absolutely nothing. And that's basically what stock trading is. You're, you're making a bet about the future value of a piece of, pa- a, a piece of stock, um, a, a, a percentage of a, of a company's net worth, and you are essentially determining which, little, which, which companies you think will appreciate and which won't. Um, it's just like baseball card trading in, in a lot of ways. Um, and and it, it seems stupid to an outsider, especially when you, know, you don't follow baseball, you don't necessarily like, care about what Microsoft or Cisco is, is doing in the previous three months. Um, but it's really, really important. The stock market is more important than baseball trading because it's worth trillions and trillions of dollars. As silly as the stock market might seem, you definitely don't want to root for its implosion, I think. We should root instead for more people getting into it, for finding more ways to allow the public, to allow the non-rich to share in the wealth created by this public hallucination. Do you know what percentage of Americans uh, have money in the stock market? apart from a 401k or whatever that is. It's hard to say. Yeah, I don't know apart from a 401k because I do think for a lot of people, the 401k is the most important way that they're invested in the stock market. But stock market wealth is highly unequally held. Uh, Something like 90% of stock market wealth is held by, I think, the top 8 or 9% of Americans. Okay. I think I maybe understand a little bit more. Some companies are doing well enough that overall the average of the stock market doesn't look that bad. In fact, it looks really good because it's recovering from that big crash um, in March. But certainly some things have taken taken big hits and overall money has maybe just moved to sectors that are more in line with what's needed in pandemic life. Yeah, that's a great summary. So in a past era where more people or in an alternate universe where more people had stocks, and we're suddenly feeling widespread economic insecurity. They might sell their stocks. They might feel like I need to, or, uh, you know, I need this cash now, so I'm going to cash out of the stock market. And then the stock market could could crash because people just need to. They need liquid money right now because they just lost their job. But right now, when you have most so much of the stock market being controlled by super wealthy people who are gonna groan and be upset when the stock market goes down, but don't need that money really to live, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're just going to kind of hang in there and move it around. And that creates a sort of stability for the stock market that might not have been there in the past. I think that's a pretty good summary. Um, the, The gloss that I would put on it is to say, because the stock market tends to be determined by higher income people's wealth, that it is essentially a reflection of what higher income Americans think about the future of corporate America. And the fact that the stock market's doing pretty well right now tells you that a lot of higher income Americans and the institutions and funds that they represent are optimistic about the fact that even though the economy right now looks really shitty, there's a lot of big publicly traded companies about which they're really optimistic. Most of those companies tend to be tech companies, you know, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google. They're really optimistic about these companies getting bigger and bigger. And as a result, rich people's optimism about big companies 
seems to us like everybody's optimism about the entire economy. Hmm. But those are two different things. Yeah. I think that rather than see the stock market as some plutocratic grade of the entire economy, you should see it as just one part of a very complex system that is the economy. When you see that restaurant sales are up, that says something important about restaurant sales. When you see that hotel bookings are down, that's something really important about hotels. When you see that the stock market is up and you see that it's up mostly because investments into large tech companies are soaring, that says something really important. It tells you that lots of institutions and rich investors see the digital economy basically shooting forward 10 years to 2030 in terms of its power and its revenue and correspondingly its profit. So rather than say, oh, this is anomalous, it's divergent, we should ignore it, I think we should pay close attention to it. It's telling us something important about the economy, even if that important thing you know, d- doesn't, doesn't feel nice to think about. So the stock market is a mass hysteria, but is it is a mass hysteria of primarily the top 8% of the wealthy in this country. Is that right? Yeah, I think you could say that certainly the top... Or a mass hallucination. The, uh, it, it is a hallucination by the richest people in this country. Yeah, it is, it is, it is real money disproportionately held by the richest people in America whose value is created by something like a mass hallucination. Yes, I think that is a... So when I hear, when I hear that the stock market just capped its best quarter in 20 years, what I'm hearing is the rich people believe they'll be fine, that none of this will affect them. I think that is a very reasonable interpretation of what's happened in the last few months, is that a lot of investors have made a bet with real money uh, that the world in... Uh, 2021, 2022 is going to look a lot like the world in January 2020. That their world will look like that. They're making bets, though, on companies that affect all of our lives. So, you know, CVS, I would not consider an elite company, a company for elites, a service for elites. Um, But elites make bets on the future value of CVS. Um, Amazon, uh, I don't think, is, is a is a especially elite company. Surely, I'm sure rich people spend more um, on Amazon and more likely to belong to Prime than people in the bottom 50% of income. Um, but Amazon has been one of the most important uh, drivers of uh, stock market appreciation uh, in the last few years, uh, and therefore one of the more important drivers of a lot of rich people's wealth. So why do we keep hearing updates incrementally like every hour about how the stock market is doing? And should we? That's a really good question. Um, on the one, I, I guess I would, I would break it down to, to two arguments. On the one hand, you could say the stock market is worth trillions of dollars. So of course, what's happening to the stock market is of utmost importance to lots of people. That said, does the financial media probably focus more on the stock market than it should? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially when you have this indicator of corporate worth that basically goes up a couple hundred points, then down a couple hundred points, and up a couple hundred points, and down a couple hundred points. You're basically on this roller coaster uh, that can change dramatically hour to hour. It's kind of like, what's the purpose of paying so much attention to this thing that can self-correct so quickly? Um, yeah. I, I think there's a really strong argument for the fact that we pay way more attention 
to the indicator of the stock market and far too little attention to things that don't obviously change on a minute-to-minute basis. You know, there is no public calculation of income inequality on a minute-to-minute basis, no public calculation of public health on a minute-to-minute basis. But the measurability, the numeracy of the stock market makes it easy for headlines to be written about it on an hour-to-hour, day-to-day basis. Right, yeah. Especially it seems true that if you're saying that a very small number of people have money in the stock market that they're really moving around. I mean, like a 401k is probably people are just not touching it and doesn't matter day to day what's happening with the stock market. So the number of people for whom it actually matters is probably less than 10% who are actually thinking, oh, maybe I should move something around because of that update I just heard. And many of those people are probably professionals who are watching this real closely and didn't need to hear on the news that the stock market was (laughs) up or down. Mm -hmm. Um, So who's that even potentially serving? Uh, You know, I've already compared uh, stocks to to baseball cards, so I might as well um, go all the way. Why are people so obsessed with sports stats? Like, why do I go onto ESPN.com, even though there aren't sports in the world, um, or at least in America, uh, every single day? Because I'm like kind of addicted to it, uh, or at least I'm I'm, I'm compulsively obsessed Hmm. with sports and compulsively obsessed with Things with 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 newness in the world, new novelty. headlines, new novelty. I've yes, I am neophilic. Yeah, and so I think that like it's really it, it's it's really a sport for lots of people. It is a it is a place for them to sink their anxious energy on an hour to hour and day to day basis, and it gives them something to talk about because. Um, you know, nothing's happening in the world uh, uh, right now. You know, there's absolutely no other news headlines, nothing of importance going mm. on. And lots of people, I really do think historically, just like they just need something to follow. And so they follow stocks. Um, that's my of, best guess. Yeah. Some sort of quantified thing you can look at and say, I am worth something. I still have value. There's a number right there telling me so. Yeah, in the in the in the long sort of in the sort of construction of the quantifiable life that we've seen over the last uh, few years online, this is the stock market is the original uh, index of the quantifiable life. It gives people a chance, I think, to to look at numbers that do exist in the real world um, and ask, like, you know, what am I worth now? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a huge part of it. Oh man! So what people really want is just someone to say, like, no, you're still good. At the end of every hourly news update, it could say, and a reminder, you have inherent value. You are worthy of love. You are worthy of self-respect. I love that. I think we're expecting a thunderstorm (laughs) late in the evening and you still matter. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Derek. Yeah. You got it. I understand more now for sure. Okay. Okay. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Talk to you later. The clearest takeaway for me is just that we do not need to be updating people so much on the stock market. And I've felt so stupid because I don't know what to make of it when I hear S&P is down three points or whatever. Right. And now I am going to feel just really, really solidly good being like, that doesn't matter at all. That is a meaningless thing for me and for 99% of Americans. Right. I think that's a good takeaway. But it would be at the same time interesting if they were like Peloton stocks quadrupled today. Like that's an interesting news bullet, right? 
So you only want updates on Peloton. Is that or, I mean, specific things. If you're like, wow, a huge number of really wealthy people just made a huge bet on something, that's newsworthy to me. Like the overall average of it, though, just doesn't mm-hmm. seem to have value. Well, one anxiety dismissed. One thing you cannot think about. There are a lot of things to think about these days. You don't have to think about yeah. this Great. particular thing. Although I'm going to think about it because I think it's an indication. Maybe we can do more. Something problematic in our (laughs) economy but that's not you know i'm gonna i'm working on keeping that to myself no 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 bring it out um okay (laughs) i think we're done for the day yeah okay there's more to be explored here (laughs) more to be explored as always as always we'll keep exploring um why don't you do the credits? The show is produced today by Kevin Townsend. Write us at socialdistanceattheatlantic.com or call us at 202-642-6487. If you like the show, the best way to support us is to subscribe to The Atlantic. Go to theatlantic.com slash support us. The show is sponsored by the U.S. Postal Service. Postal Service, bringing stamps and mail. And Amazon packages. And Amazon packages for Amazon for almost no money. <laughs> Show's not sponsored by Ray Cerrone. We do not have. Yeah, just to be clear, that's Jim making a joke. A sponsor. I just. He thinks it's funny. Um, to say that we're sponsored by Ray Cerrone. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear, we don't. We're no. We're not sponsored. No, no sponsorship. Free of free of sponsorship. For the that's why so, it's so important to subscribe to the Atlantic because we are not getting those Ray Cerrone dollars. <laughs> okay. Bye. Great pitch. Great pitch. Bye. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.